Hi, this is John with Prodigal Church. We're so glad that you've downloaded this week's message. Our online ministry has enabled people from all over the world to access our weekly teachings. We're so grateful for you, whoever you are and wherever you are. For all things Prodigal, download the Prodigal app at your app store. And if you consider Prodigal Church your home, would you consider donating monthly at our website, prodigalchurchfresno.com. Thanks again for listening online. Now let's dive right into this week's teaching. Well, Happy New Year, Prodigal Church. We say goodbye to 2021 and we look forward to an even brighter 2022. Uh, Perhaps you can relate to this poem, this famous New Year's poem. Twas the week after Christmas and all through the house, nothing would fit me, not even a blouse. The cookies I'd nibbled, the fudge I did taste, all the holiday parties had gone to my waist. When I got on the scale, there arose such a number. When I walked to the store, less a walk than a lumber. The pies and the cakes, the bread and the cheese, and the way I never said, no thank you, please. So away with the last of our sour cream dip, get rid of the fruitcake, every cracker and chip. Every last bit of food that I like must be banished till all of the additional ounces have vanished. I won't have hot biscuits or cornbread or pie. I'll munch on a carrot and quietly cry. I'm hungry, I'm lonesome, and life is a bore, but isn't that what January is for? Unable to giggle, no longer a riot. Happy New Year to all, and to all a good diet. Happy New Year. This year, it's going to be a good one. I can feel it. And on the first Sunday of the New Year, we're going to look at Daniel chapter 1, and we're going to walk through this chapter together and just see how far we might get. And I really believe that the events described here that happened 2,500 years ago will mean something to us this year in 2022. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Daniel chapter one and follow along on the screens. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. First things, kind of right off the bat, were given the context, okay? There, were, there really were three Jewish deportations to Babylon, 605, 597, and in 586. This is real, this is his history, it's not myth. And secondly, we discover that in Hebrew, it doesn't say, it doesn't reference him as the king of Babylon, but rather the king of Babel. And if you were in ancient Hebrew, this would immediately awake images of Genesis chapter 11 and the story of the Tower of Babel. The tower was in the same location as Babylon, in between the Tigris and Euphrates River, and it would draw their attention to the connections between a tower that stood in opposition to God all those years ago and the present-day Babylon, which also stands in opposition to God. Let's continue verse 3. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men, without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table, They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. 
And here we're introduced to the main character, Daniel, but also his friends. They were among the young men chosen for service in Babylon. The Hebrew word here for young men is yeled, and it meant a person between 12 and 14 years old. Okay, this is young. These were the best and the brightest from all of the conquered nations. These were the kind of people who aced every test, lettered in every varsity sport, and got all of the girls' attentions. And if you're Babylon, the point was to take the youngest, brightest men and make them Babylonians. You're the champ, you're on top, this is Babylon, one of the first great empires of the world. Daniel was one of these young men. Verse seven, the chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Why is this in there? What is the big deal with them changing their names? Now, changing names had a massive significance in the ancient world, and names are still significant today, but nowadays people are getting a little funky. Names don't mean as much. We just maybe like the sound of the names. And not only that, but you know, nowadays people tend to spell names really weird. I found this website called Creatively Spelled Names. So if you're searching for a name for your son or daughter and you want it to stand out and you want it to sound funky and look funky, this is the website for you. We've got Caitlin, Brittany, Nicholas, Dominic, Connor, Cassandra. Oh, you're so fancy, Cassandra. Alexandra and Dakota. These are funky, too funky, I must say. Okay, spell it regular. Now, in the ancient world, names were even more significant than they are today. Your name was your character. Okay, sorry, Cassandra. So when Babylon changes the names of these four Hebrew teenagers, it wasn't just because it was hard to pronounce their Hebrew names. And as you break down what these names mean and meant, the reason behind the name change becomes abundantly clear. Look at Daniel. Daniel means God is my judge. Changed to Bel to Shazar, Bel's prince, or may Bel protect his life. Bel was the Babylonian god. Hananiah, Yahweh has been gracious to Shadrach, the command of Aku, who was the sun god. Mishael, who is like God, to Meshach, who is like Shak, who was the Babylonian goddess, Shishak, goddess of the earth. And to Azariah, Yahweh has helped to Abednego, servant of the shining fire or servant of Nego. This renaming was a way of reclaiming. It was a way of usurping Yahweh with the four leading gods of Babylon, the chief god, the sun god, the earth god, and the god of fire. The names were intended to loosen their identity as Jewish people and gain identity as Babylonians. Did it work? No. Number one in your notes is this. Our identity is not found in what others say about us. Our identity is in what God says about us. See, we might be living in Babylon, but Babylon doesn't need to live in us. Daniel didn't allow his label to become him. He knew he, who he was. His name, Daniel, God is my judge. God is my judge. And that is something that we as Christians should live out no matter what others say about us. God is my judge. The judgments of others on our lives should have no place in our hearts. Has someone said something negative about you or to you that has found its way to be cemented in your heart? Let it go. You are not who they say you are. That's not your identity. God is your judge. So pay no mind to the judgments of others. And also, don't be a voice of judgment in the lives of other people. 
Are you the Babylon to another Daniel? Are you trying to rename people, create an identity for them that's not their own? Are you trying to, to, to pigeonhole them, to, to, to cookie cutter them, to make them something that they were never meant to be, to put them in a mold? You're Babylon to someone else. We as Christians, we, we struggle with this. We struggle with judging. God is my judge, but we like to judge others and be their judge. God is my judge, but I'm your judge. No, Jesus offers a better way. I read a story of a great Christian leader. His name was Bishop Potter. And he was sailing for Europe on one of the great transatlantic ocean liners. When he was on board, he found another passenger that was meant to share his cabin with him. And after seeing the accommodations, he went back to the front desk and he said, I'm sorry to do this, but uh, would you be able to watch my gold watch and kind of my, my more valuable possessions? Um, uh, I, just, I just met the person I'll be rooming with and he just looks like a, you know, someone who doesn't look like a trustworthy person. And the front desk accepted the responsibility and then remarked, it's all right, Bishop, I'll be glad to take care of them for you. The other man has been up here as well and left his stuff for the same reason. Larry Wright said, given half the chance, people often crawl out of the boxes into which we have relegated them. God is our judge. God is your judge. Not me, not you. There are lots of ways we judge other people other than appearance. We must remember Daniel. God is my judge. He's their judge as well. Notice also that these four Hebrews went along with their new Babylonian names. In the entire book of Daniel, you never see these guys correcting the Babylonians. Hey, Shadrach, I need your, uh, I need your help over here. Uh, it's Hananiah, not Shadrach, okay? It, that doesn't happen. It, it, it's like today, right? The checkout person, happy holidays, it's Merry Christmas. No, Daniel and his boys are never correcting the Babylonians. He's meeting them where they are. They're just being good examples in the place that God has them. These guys went along with their new names because their identity lights somewhere else, somewhere deeper, beyond the name, somewhere beyond the superficial. The renowned artist, Paul Gustave Dory, lost his passport while traveling through Europe once. When he came to a border crossing, he explained his predicament to the guards, gave his name to the official. He hoped that that would be enough to allow him to pass. The guard, however, said that lots of people try and say they're someone famous, claiming to be people that they're not. Dory insisted that I am the artist, uh, Paul Gustave Dory. I know I am. And they said, okay, fine, we'll give you a test and then we'll allow you to walk through. They handed him a pencil and a piece of paper and they asked him to sketch several of the peasants who were nearby. Dory did it so quickly, so skillfully, that the guards were indeed convinced of his own identity. His work confirmed his word. His work, his actions confirmed his identity. Ours does too. It lies deeper than the surface. It's from within. It was his actions that defined his identity, not a passport, not a name. So Daniel and these guys, they're given Babylonian names, given all the perks of the Babylonian court, including food from the delicious king's table. What is Daniel's response? Look at verse eight. 
But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. The text says that Daniel resolved. The, the word is sum, means to put, to place, to set, appoint, make. Sum was a decision made beforehand. So when he resolved in his heart, that decision had already been made. So right, even before he was tempted, he had made, he had sumed it. He had resolved, he had decided beforehand not to defile himself. It's a new year. So let's zoom ahead to 2023. Zoom into 2023, resolve in your heart beforehand the kind of person you wanna be, the kind of life you wanna live, the kind of year you wanna have. Like Daniel, you can assume, you can resolve in your heart now the choices that will be made later. This is the last year of that. That was the last time I did that mistake. What kind of person will you become throughout this year? Number two, character is never made in crisis. It is only revealed. Stuff is going to go down in 2022. There will be some crisis. You can decide now if you're gonna let them hurt you or help you. You can, you, you can assume it. You can resolve in your heart. Who you are is not made in the midst of difficult circumstances. It is revealed. You see, Daniel's character and Daniel's uncompromising integrity were formed long before he was tempted from the table of King Nebuchadnezzar. This moment, this temptation revealed the character and integrity that had already existed in Daniel. You see, the temptations, the trials, the difficulties reveal our character. Picture yourself now in a potential compromising situation in 2022. Okay, I don't know what it is, but you do and God does. How you respond in that potentially compromising situation, whether or not you choose to do the right thing or the wrong thing is based is based much more on who you've chosen to be rather than your strength in resisting the temptation in that moment. Who do you choose to be? That is the secret to overcoming temptation. Not strategies in the moment. No, it's about who you choose to be now. That will help you then. Your life and decisions today are the mirror of your tomorrow. You want a brighter tomorrow? Choose the right thing today. Choose Jesus today. Choose the loving action now. How do you want to live? It starts now. In fact, it's already started. Your character is revealed in the midst of crisis. Choosing integrity is always harder than choosing compromise. Now, I think it's easy for us to underestimate how difficult this must have been for Daniel and his three friends. Babylon was the world power. Israel was nothing. Babylon was New York. Israel was Dainua, okay? Babylon was one of the most beautiful, advanced, and influential places the world has ever known. In fact, every single one of us still benefits from Babylon. Oh, what time is it? It's uh, what, do you have a watch on you? Yeah, if you have a watch on you, if you just looked at your time, you have Babylon to thank for that because you keep track of time using measurements of 60 because of the Babylonians. Every watch, every clock, every cell phone that we use to tell time, we owe it to the advancement of the Babylonian Empire. This was a big deal. They were a big deal. So Daniel's friends are taken from Jerusalem, marched 900 miles to the Middle East to arrive at the Ishtar Gate. 
And then they see the Tigris and Euphrates River. And then they see the Temple of Marduk. All the culture, all the wealth. The name Babylonian itself in Akkadian means gateway to the gods. That must have been their experience when they left their poor homes in Israel to enter the gateway of the gods in Babylonia. Daniel could have easily said, well, when in Rome and taken that wine and eaten that food. It's not that big of a deal to eat as they eat. After all, I'm hungry. I wanna make a good impression on these guys. I wanna be able to relate to them. Daniel not only could have compromised, I kinda think he should have, right? We find out later that Daniel ate vegetables for three years and refused the delicacies of the king's table. This was a tough thing for Daniel. He sacrificed a lot because of his convictions. There will always be lots of opportunities to compromise because doing the right thing can get old. Doing the right thing can get old. Does that resonate? Paul agrees with this. Look at 2 Thessalonians 3.13. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. Doing the right thing can get old. It's draining. That's why Paul has to write, don't get tired of it because it's tiring. Can you see where I'm going with this? Okay. I am tired of this virus. There isn't a person on this planet that isn't sick and tired of this virus. But we never tire of doing what is good. Daniel didn't. Paul didn't. And you shouldn't either. For Daniel, it's about food. But I mean, what's the big deal with food? They changed his name, no big deal. They removed him from his family and home, I'll survive. Here's some steak and wine from the king's table. No, God forbid. Nope, how dare I? I don't touch that, never. What's the deal with food? We see in the ancient world, food and idolatry were connected. So it wasn't so much an issue of what are you gonna eat, but who are you with? Whose side are you on? And Daniel wasn't gonna compromise that. He wasn't gonna tire of doing what's right, doing what's good doing what's most loving. Daniel was with the Lord. So what happens next? Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. Now, that's a longer section that we just read, and it is in a structure called a chiasm. A, a chiasm was an ancient literary device that helped in memorization and also helped in emphasis. And so what is a chiasm? Here's an example of one. The Kansas City Chiefs are my favorite football team. At one point this year, they had three wins and four losses. Patrick LaVon Mahomes is their quarterback. His presence changes everything. Now they have 10 wins and four losses. The Kansas City Chiefs are the best team in the NFL. This is a chiasm, right? The first and last are speaking of the same thing, the Chiefs as a team. The second and the last speak to their record, 
their wins and losses. In the middle portion, of course, refer, refers to Patrick Levon Mahomes. Now, a chiasm in ancient literature was useful for many reasons. It helped in remembering and retelling stories in oral cultures. It contrasted and paralleled ideas in the narrative. It also highlighted the climax, the most important part of the story. So in our example of the chiasm, the most important thing was Patrick Mahomes, number 15, and also that I'm a crazy fan. But how does this play out in Daniel chapter one? Well, here's the chiasm, here's the chiastic structure. Babylonians defeat Israel. Then they're take, the young men are taken for training. Daniel wants to avoid compromise, issues a test. Daniel's triumphant in the test, avoids compromise. Young men are triumphant in training. Daniel outlives the Babylonian empire. This test and its result is of utmost importance in Daniel chapter one. Why? Not only is it the center of the chiastic structure, but it shows that God is faithful even in our difficult circumstances. This year, 2022, there will be difficult circumstances. God is faithful in the midst of those. The text doesn't tell us that it's a miracle that Daniel and his friends look better and fatter than others, but it has to be. I mean, when was the last time you saw a vegan look better than someone who likes steak? Okay, if you're a vegan, sorry. Um, I like food. Uh, the head guard objects to Daniel's request because he fears the king's response. But Daniel says, test your servants for 10 days. Notice that Daniel doesn't start arguing the guy. He doesn't ream the guy. He doesn't say too bad. He doesn't say you're, 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 so, you're serving false gods. No, no, he says, please. He uses his manners. He asks for permission. And I believe that that's an important point here. Number three, doing the right thing for God should never mean doing the wrong thing for others. If your right thing means causing hurt or harm to others, maybe it's not the right thing. Perhaps it's the wrong thing. Jesus summarizes the entire Bible by saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second greatest commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. If your right thing, if your right action violates love your neighbor as yourself, it's probably not the right action. One thing I've learned over the years is that as I grow in my love of God, I also grow in my love of neighbor because the two are inextricably linked. Daniel was respectful and offered a solution to the guard's problem. He tested God and God proved faithful. I'm convinced that if the guard would have said, hey, Daniel, I respect your decision, but it's going to cost me my life. This test thing can't happen. The king's going to kill me. I think Daniel would have said, steak and wine it is. Because that was the best thing to do to love your neighbor. I'm not saying that we lower our morals or our standards to accommodate the beliefs of others. But I am saying that God's love and love of others should trump all other things, all other rights. Jeremiah 22 writes, he defended the cause of the poor and the needy, and so all went well. Is that not what it means to know me, declares the Lord. This concept of justice, of caring for others, of loving others, of putting others above yourself, that and knowing God are so inextricably linked in the scriptures that a legitimate question can be raised. Could practicing justice and helping those in need be equated to knowing God? That's, that's the point of what Jeremiah says, right? Is that not what it means to know me? I'll close with this. While Tom Wiles was university chaplain at Grand Canyon University in Phoenix, Arizona, 
he picked up famous author and speaker Leonard Sweet at the airport in his new Ford pickup and took him to a leadership conference. Leonard Sweet had just uh, traded in his own uh, pickup truck and was mourning the loss of his old one. And Tom, two days later, is picking up at the airport. They struck up a conversation about the cars. And as he climbed in the brand new truck, Sweet said, what happened? He noticed two big old scrapes on the side of the door. And he said, well, my neighbor's basketball post fell on the truck. And Sweet said, no, you're kidding me. That's awful. This truck is so new, I can smell the, the newness. Your, your truck's perfect. And he's like, yeah, well, what's even worse is my neighbor doesn't feel like he's responsible for the damage. And so Sweet immediately arose to his friend's defense, right? He's like, did you contact the insurance company? How are you going to get this paid for? And then Tom said, this has been a real spiritual journey for me. After a lot of soul searching and discussions with my wife and even hiring an attorney, it came down to this. I can either be in the right or I can be in a relationship with my neighbor. And since my neighbor will probably be with me longer than this truck, I decided I'd rather be in relationship than be right. Besides, trucks are meant to get banged up, so I got mine initiated to the real world a tad early. Doing the right thing for God should bring about good for our neighbors. Say it again. Doing the right thing for God should bring about good for our neighbors. You're debating what the right move is in a certain instance in your life? Does it bring about good for those around you, for that other person? So it's 2022. What's next for me? What's next for you? Matters what we do and say here and now more than the decision six months or a year from now. Who you are becoming is a result of who you choose to be right now. Your decisions today are your mirror for tomorrow. Never tire in doing what is right. God is faithful. He'll be with you in your crisis, in your trials, and in your troubles in 2022 and beyond. God, God, we may be in Babylon in many ways, but we don't have to have Babylon living in us. So God, we pray that your grace and your love fills us up so that we do what is good and right and true and loving and give us the endurance to keep going even when it is difficult. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to thank you so much for joining us online at Prodigal Church Fresno. Uh, next week, we have an amazing guest speaker coming. We're not going to tell you who it is yet. You just have to tune in to find out. And then the following week, we begin a brand new series called Fresh, a three-week series on the fruits of the Spirit. And we can't wait. Grace and peace and Happy New Year.